Hi, everyone. This is Elise Chenier, Director of the Archives of Lesbian Oral Testimony. Thanks for tuning in. I wanted to let you know that you can find and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. If you like what you hear, consider throwing us some stars. It really helps us get the word out about the archives. And if you like what we're doing and have some loose change, think about becoming a financial backer. We're here to serve the community, and to keep doing that, we're going to need a little help. If you can play that role, please get in touch with me by email at e. C-H-E-N-I-E-R at S-F-U dot C-A. Thanks, everyone. I'm Kelly Hitchcock, and you're listening to the Lesbian Testimony Podcast, a project for the Archives of Lesbian Oral Testimony at allotarchives.org, which is an online, trans-inclusive, open-access archive for oral testimony of same-sex or same-desiring women, including lesbian, queer, and two-spirit people. Each week, we'll talk to a donor from the archives about one of their donations or an oral historian about their recent work. Hello. Today we are doing a final bonus episode for this year's round of interviews where we are going to play clips of us asking our past guests the question, what does the word lesbian mean to you? So each of these guests talked to us about lesbian identification and identity formation surrounding the word lesbian in its political or non-political context. Then afterwards, we're going to have our director, Elise Chenier, and our archivist, Megan Wally, here for a discussion with me about the clips. So this is a very exciting episode. We have a lot of great people sounding off on this question. And to start us off, we have Joan Nessel. She's a longtime activist, educator, and writer who has made landmark contributions to lesbian culture and history. And she's the author of Restricted Country, the editor of Persistent Desire, a butch friend reader, and the co-founder of Lesbian Hearstay Archives in Brooklyn, New York. So without further ado, here's Joan. So what does the term lesbian mean to you in terms of identity formation and all of the politics that are sort of surrounding the use or non-use of that term contemporarily. Oh, wow. (laughs) First of all, I am aware of the debates and the, what I call this high anxiety about the disappearing L and all these things. And for me, lesbian has been a word that was, I see it as a word big enough and queer enough to incorporate all the other positionings. So I have written pieces where, as a lesbian, I, in my imagination, I was a teenage boy. I was an aging whore. I was a woman making love to her mother in my story, taking me to Hayworth in my mouth. At 77, there's one phrase that really upsets me in this discussion, which is called a biologically born woman. I find any argument to biology a very difficult one, given the history, I'll just go down the list. First of all, of African Americans, where biology was used to justify enslavement. To women, when their brains were measured and found to be wanting, so to justify the dehumanization of women. To Jews, and I'm Jewish, when their noses were measured by the Nazis to show they were too thick to be fully human. So I don't ever, I don't want a biological definition to be what opens or shuts a door. And how we've gotten to that point is upsetting to me. To be a lesbian, yes, is to be a woman, it's interesting at 77 to work out all these languages, it's to be a woman, it's to be queer, it's to be an imagined positioning. So there's a fluidity to it. I'm trying to keep all the histories alive. So there are new kinds of lesbians, there are new kinds of women, just as there are new kinds of men. And so to be a lesbian is to be 
a really complex history now, and it starts, and one part of it is, and I guess you use the word cisgender, is those who occupy comfortably the category of women, and then there are those who women is a sliding imaginative act, or there are those who have once lived as men and now live as women. And so I see it as a fluid term. I also see it in a historical sense as a very specific term, if that makes sense. So how we live with specific definition and fluid definition is what I think we're all trying to deal with. So I can only, how I define myself is coming out in the 50s. First, I was a freak. Then I was a queer. Then I was a femme. So that would be my lesbian self. Then I was a lesbian feminist. I still am all these things. And then a queer femme, lesbian feminist again. So queer comes back in a different way now. So I don't know if this is clear, but maybe it's good that it's not clear. My primary definition is as a 50s femme is how I define myself. And Sometimes, I always tell this story, I was at a gay event in Washington, D.C., okay? And there was a wedding in the same hotel. And I went, at one point, I had to go to the bathroom. And in the bathroom were all the bridesmaids from the wedding. And I felt like a different gender. That sense of femininity was so far from me. So at any, you can shift, and all of a sudden, what you think, you know, your sense of who you are, gender, becomes something different. So I define as a 50s femme, and that has smatterings of woman, smatterings of a created gender, and smatterings of queer. So you're sort of saying that because women and most of these identifiers are kind of made up anyways, it's okay to use them to fit the identity that you want, or they're fluid? I mean, it's very hard. It would be so easy if I could just say, no, this is what it is. But I can't, because I have too much knowledge is coming at me. I know too many people who are experiencing gender in different ways. So I don't want to say that fluidity is wipes away everything else. No, no, like women I work with, the archives, who clearly, you know, see themselves deeply rooted in woman and lesbian. Okay, and feminism is sort of assumed in that. So it's their deep, and identity is a funny way, but their deep positionings, their deep senses of self, let's say, okay? Okay. So, but those senses of self change throughout one's lifetime. And what we, our struggle now is how do we all live with each other and preserve respect for each other's histories of desire and of being in a gendered body or non-gendered body. And my big concern now in 77 is we got to do it. And we got to join hands because there's a much bigger battle. And that's the battle against the rising right. And I cannot emphasize enough. And all this stuff I talk about and Miss Hampton, and I think of what the Trump world would do to her life and is doing. And I say, yes, this is all really important conversation. But, you know, there's something even more important. We have to find a unity between lesbian feminists, queer people, trans people of all genders, non-gendered people because we're talking about walls and borders and who lives and who dies and what kind of world we live in. So in a certain sense, if I may say, I think some of these thinkings are almost getting old and we need a new kind of thinking. Gender is incredibly important as we live our days, but without a sane politic in a larger sense, without a humane politic, it really 
will mean very little as the bodies mount around us. So this is my concern now, is how we carry our knowledges about gender and its complexity and its beauty and its fullness and its problems and its fluidity and its permanence into the battle that will determine your future, perhaps the future of education, the future of our archives, the future. And it is now, it is a deeply ideological battle. It's a battle of proto-fascisms against a world that makes queer people possible. And I don't mean that as an anti-Muslim statement. I want to be very careful. This is, you know, but as a world, and America, let's just say, we're in a deep, deep battle. Right. And I think you're trying to say that it's more about becoming a united front, however we can do that, to be able to attack people that are trying to marginalize all of those people in that gender identity umbrella kind of thing. And a lot of other people. Also, I'm talking about coalitions. If we can't work out coalitions between ourselves, meaning transgendered people, all right, or women of all kinds, if we can't work out coalitions of respect, how are we going to have coalitions with other groups that are not queer marked, but are desperately needed, that we desperately need each other to hold the line against dehumanizing, rampant, militant capitalism. So these are words, you know, coming out of an old femme's mouth, used to be filled with words of desire. And now it's still there, but it's the desire for a coalition-rich with all our knowledges taking on a shrinking-hearted world where occupations and walls and security and armament endanger all our bodies and therefore all our genders. Right, uniting against a common enemy instead of infighting, I guess, or in separation. Yes. Yes, yes. Okay, thank you so much for that discussion. So that was Joan Nassel. And now we have Nadine Boulay, a PhD candidate and instructor at Simon Fraser University in the Department of Gender, Sexuality, and Women's Studies. The interviews for her intergenerational oral history project are on the ALOT website right now under Lesbian Generations in Vancouver. And she is currently doing her dissertation in LGBTQ rural histories in BC. So here we go. What does the term lesbian mean to you in terms of its use and non-use contemporarily? You did talk a bit about it, but I kind of wanted to ask you more. Yeah, no, and I think like my own experience of the term has really evolved as I've become more and more of a trained historian and, you know, also of us getting older. So, I mean, how I understand lesbian as a historian is that it's a historically contingent term that came out of a very specific history, you know, but really also centering sexuality, intimacy, relationships between women. So I haven't really been particularly interested in, like, looking back and, you know, arguing if something's lesbian because I tend to work with people who, in the 70s and 80s, so that term is really already taken up because I would feel uncomfortable imposing presentist identity politics on people who maybe didn't use those terms, even if sometimes they're useful. So there's a quandary around that. And I think also thinking about maybe being really conscious of how we're articulating the category woman, like the category woman as being unhinged from essentialist notions of biology, like the category woman for me is always already trans-inclusive. And then trans-inclusiveness has been a huge issue in like lesbian feminism of being and not all lesbian feminists were imposing that kind of transphobia trans misogyny but there was a strong through line of that and then again you know moving between it's hard for me to like name what i think about lesbian as a historian and then as a person because they're really 
mixed together. And so like for me, lesbian is always trans positive. It's always has a really flexible understanding of what being a woman is. And I understand it is inherently feminist, whereas not everybody will. So there's, you know, because lesbian feminism was so attached to uh, political identity. So there was the idea of I choose to be gay, which it doesn't really fit with a lot of contemporary queer rhetoric that is really like, this is not my choice. And obviously, this is these are just certain strands. Like, this is not every single lesbian feminist. There were so many different identity politics. Like, it was very, very vast, particularly in the 70s and 80s at kind of its heyday. But I've always really liked the idea of a lesbian as a political identity. It, that could be problematic in some ways, but it was really done in a way to disrupt the notion that, you know, being gay is something that happens to you, because that's the long history of, like, gays and lesbians used to be seen as sexual inverts. So the idea that you were a woman who wanted to have sex with another woman, it meant that you weren't properly gendered. So they're responding to that history as well. And then also, I remember when I first started doing research on lesbian history when I was an undergrad, I went to work at the Women's Movement Archives in Ottawa with my thesis advisor who was writing a book about lesbian placemaking in Canada. And it was the first time I'd really encountered all these primary documents from lesbian feminist organizing. So letters, minutes from meetings, like very, very intimate stories. And that's when I really started to think about, oh, what's my relationship to this term? And, you know, really kind of noticing that people, even other queer folks that I've met are like uncomfortable with the term. And I often feel like, if there's a discomfort around it, maybe that's something to look at. Like, I think that if the discomfort is around, I think there's sometimes there are streams of misogyny in that. And I think that there's also, you know, reticence to use lesbian because of its association in some ways with transphobia, which is totally a fair critique. But I think it's really good that there's this term that is specifically about women. But then, you know, also, I don't think that we have to choose one term over the other. I love the term lesbian, but it's not all my experience. Like we heard in the video, like Robin uses the term queer. So yeah, it's really complicated. There are a lot of different meanings embedded in that term in my experience. Yeah. Wow. That's so great. I love that you're able to bring in so many historical elements here. That's really exciting. Thanks. All right. That was Nadine Boulay. Now we have Mary Wu Sims, who is the chief human rights commissioner for British Columbia from 1997 to 2001. And she has a long history of doing social justice activism and has been recognized for her work within the trade union, feminist, anti-racist, and queer movements dating back from the 1970s. Here she is. So yeah, so the question today is, what does lesbian mean to you? And I'm sure you've seen a lot of evolutions of the term and like different political stances on it. So yeah, we were gonna get your take. Well, it's interesting when you put that question to me during our email correspondence about today's interview, I gave some thought to how I came out because that's the first time you have to think about using the term to describe yourself. And it was when I came out to my mom and it was kind of interesting because there was no word to describe, hi mom, I'm a lesbian in Cantonese. And so I had to actually use the word homosexual in English, which she, to my surprise, understood. And then I graduated to describing myself as gay because the word homosexual in those days when we had just come out of decriminalization of homosexuality, gay was sort of code for describing yourself as different than heterosexual. 
And it was only when I started becoming active in the feminist movement here in Vancouver that I heard women describing themselves as lesbian and reading feminist lesbian authors like Jill Johnston. I became much more aware of that term lesbian, and that's what I've been using to describe myself pretty well ever since. But as we all know, even that description has evolved now where young lesbians today don't even want to refer to themselves to that. They're queer or butch or, I mean, there's a myriad of ways to describe yourself now in our community. So yeah, it's it's progressed and evolved. And sometimes I feel like I can't catch up. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky because you know, you sort of want to have a word that makes you feel at home and sort of safe. I don't know if that resonates with you, but is there any term that has like felt the most right to you? I mean, I guess words are all just sort of construction of meaning, but I don't know. Is there a feeling there that you felt strongly about? Well, I, I mean, I am most comfortable with the term lesbian and I have become more comfortable with the word queer. I mean, in my day of coming out, and I'm seriously aging myself now, but queer was a derogatory term. And so when someone called you queer, I mean, you're expecting a fist to follow or, you know, some other slurring to happen. And so when people started reclaiming that word, it was very hard to get my mind wrapped around it. But I do feel a lot more comfortable when people describe themselves as queer. And I certainly have over the years as well, because, you know, there is that great chant that says, we're here, we're queer, get used to it. So I'm getting used to it, although I'm most comfortable with defining myself as an out lesbian. Yeah, definitely. And especially if there's pain associated with that term, that seems fair to me to be like, I don't want it. <laughs> I won't yeah, use it for myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it's a generational thing as well. I mean, I know lesbians who would not describe themselves as lesbians. They call themselves gay women. And I think it's a generational thing. It's what they're comfortable with. And I think the most important part is to respect how people want to describe themselves because that is their safe space, as you talked about earlier. It is what they're most comfortable with. And that's how they feel the most safe in describing themselves. Definitely. I think that's a good way to look at it, especially with everything changing. And I think, yeah, like a lot of generational aspects of identification and naming get forgotten. I mean, I guess I get why it's like, well, this isn't my group, so I don't know about the other stuff. But I think it's really important to look at that intergenerational context for everything. And that's why I really like this project, too, is we're able to pass on voices like I'll have an interview with someone who's much older than me, but then they'll also have done an interview a long time ago. And during that time, they interviewed someone much older than them. So we're getting these perspectives. And that's so exciting. Yeah, it's a really important project. You know, at some point, for example, I would have described myself as a butch lesbian. But now I've actually heard the term boy, B-O-I. And I feel very comfortable with that description of myself, because that's was like, oh, yeah, that is who I am, right? So it's like as we evolve in our understanding of describing ourselves or what we're comfortable with, new terminology you just find is what suits the best. And so, you know, and some people, like in the younger generations, they absolutely reject labels altogether. And I get that as well. And I I wish we get to a point in our society where there's no labeling, you know, we're just all people, right? But that's a long way to go when we're dealing with sexism, racism, 
homophobia, ableism, etc., etc., etc. I think that it's important to say, to name what we're dealing with at the moment, right? And there's still a lot of homophobia and, you know, reclaiming words such as queer and butch and dyke and faggot. You know, all of that is really important because it takes the power and the sting away from people who would use it in a derogatory way towards us. Yeah, so there's like a lot of layers of identification and history and like hatred and progression. And yeah, I definitely see that. And also, it's really cool that you identified with a new term. See, that's what I think is so exciting about language in the sense it's like you can hear something and you're like, that fits like a glove. And I never thought yep. about it. And so, yeah, exactly. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, exactly. And so, I think though that projects such as the one that you're involved with is really important, though, because I think that it's important to know where we came from and the evolution of these words and understanding where some of the fear might have come from around the use of certain language and so forth. It's important for people to have dialogue about that. Otherwise, we just get kind of like, what's wrong with you? And why can't you move forward? Or, you know, you're stuck in that, like, that doesn't help further the conversation and enhance understanding between all of us. Because, you know, the larger issue is how do we fight homophobia and heterosexism, not how do we fight amongst each other about terms? Exactly. And Joe Nestle said a similar thing where, you know, identification is well and good, but like the larger projects here are what's the common threat to having our lives this way kind of thing and like living the lives that we want to live as yeah. a larger community kind of thing. Exactly. For right. Sure. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mary, for speaking with us. Well, thank you, Kelly. It's been a wonderful conversation. That was Mary Rue Sims. Now we have Lauren Horty, an artist, educator, and DJ based in Toronto and co-creator with Sonia Reynolds of the Shut Up Puppet film Midnight at the Continental, which looks at working-class lesbian bar culture in Toronto during the 50s and 60s. Here we go. And so I also wanted to ask you, what does the term lesbian mean to you after our long discussion of lesbian culture and such and such? Yeah, that's a tricky question. You know, it's kind of funny is that I, I'm like, why don't I have like a canned answer off the top of my head ready to go? I think it kind of reflects a little bit like, you know, the dichotomy that we're just talking about now. You've said that you think sometimes that lesbianism is kind of a look down upon term and not a lot of people want to own that label. I feel that definitely. And I identify as queer, as lesbian, kind of use them a bit interchangeably. But I feel kind of pressure from two sides. Like one, you know, was growing up in small town Ontario. You didn't. I didn't personally want to identify as lesbian. Well, A, because of homophobia and B, because of like the sort of stigma that lesbian had as being... I guess for me, when I heard the word lesbian, I thought of it as being like butch and mannish and undesirable and unattractive and unwanted, right? And all of these things that come with, you know, the way that we look at women as being defined, like women having their value defined by like if they're attracted to men. There's that kind of push from mainstream society that said that lesbian was undesirable. And then sort of the flip side of that would be, so maybe you can kind of think about that as like the Germaine Greer mainstream feminist movement kind of a homophobic response. And then there's the flip side of that, which is now, you know, a lot of people, we see more trans identified youth. I teach high school. I've seen like a huge uptick in the number of trans kids that I teach, which I think is amazing. But, you, you know, you see like this kind of more gender queer, gender fluid and this idea that gender exists along a spectrum, which is a fantastic idea. Like the whole, you know, Judith Butler called that one a long time ago. So I think now sometimes there's a bit of a backlash against lesbianism because it seems 
essentialist, which is, you know, kind of what almost like that butch femme kind of identity where it's like, oh, you're just reproducing this patriarchy, you're just reproducing this essentialist identity, which is something to be honest, like I had never, like it makes me feel I'm only 34, but it makes me feel kind of old. I'm like, wow, I'd never really thought about it. Is that way that that label could be? I will thought of that label as being like oppressive to me, but not necessarily oppressive to other people. So I feel like we're kind of caught in the same gray zone where lesbianism has, it should be called a lesbian or what does lesbian mean to me? It's kind of like caught between these two ideas of, you know, having a distinct culture and society and experience that comes with being a woman identified person who's attracted to other women identified people, but then also wanting to open up, you know, yourself as a person, as a culture. And think about like, well, really, what is it that makes somebody women identify or identifies that desires? So I'm sorry, that's kind of like a really broad. <laughs> no, that's perfect. <laughs> back and back and forth, but I feel like I still feel like it's a bit of a dirty word, but for different reasons. Like for myself, say ten years ago and today, I feel a little bit mixed about it. Although it is a label that I do claim for myself and identify, because I just kind of feel like, well, you know. To be fair, I've only dated women. <laughs> so I think that's pretty, <laughs> if I have to pause and step back, like in a, from a dictionary kind of perspective, like really, that is what identifies me. And I feel lucky to have known a lot of fantastic women in my life who've owned that label. And I think that's what made it a lot easier for me, this idea of having like a community and a culture that is not necessarily like just as good a straight culture, but something separate and unique and different and like valuable in and of itself. Right. Identifiers are good for finding visibility in communities, finding visibility in terms of partners. And so there's and for a sense- influencing mainstream culture. I, I think like lesbianism has a lot to offer other than, I mean, like there's skinny jeans, but there's <laughs> other things as well, you know, like the lesbian style. But yeah, it's, it's not just about finding solace for myself. I think that we have a lot to contribute to mainstream culture as well. Not that I necessarily want to be like, I can't wait to be culturally appropriated because that'll make it mean acceptance. But, you know, to not just always look at it as sort of like a deficit or something separate. It's also an asset that we have. Right. So it's like a certain pride in a term that you largely identify with. And so people come to it, I think, as a refuge to their experience. It's a difficult topic. I mean, I think it's a good thing that it's difficult because I think one of the positive hallmarks of lesbian culture that I've experienced, and I'm totally open if people have had different experiences than this, but what I found in like my own community in Toronto of kind of like lesbian and queer women is that there's like just a great opportunity for people. People are very thoughtful, you know, so when they're saying things or taking stances or creating culture, even if it's like a bar night, it's like, is this night accessible? (laughs) Is this night pay what you can. There's like kind of all this intersectionality that's sort of built into the community that people are really thoughtful and caring about that I find really inspiring and I think has made me, I'm definitely am a different person because I've been exposed to that community than I would have been if I kind of stayed in my, you know, sort of mainstream small town, big city, any sort of culture. So although it is difficult, I think it says that within lesbian culture, there's a lot of room for complexity and there's a lot of room for questioning and there's a lot of room for sort of like respectful debate and I think just when you've had to create your own identity, it makes you a lot more thoughtful about what you're putting out in the world for better or worse. Right. And at least maybe it's so difficult because we are confronting a lot of intersections, which is actually a space that is different from most places that doesn't combat those intersections. There's That's race. a really good way of putting it. I like that. Yeah, there's race, class, gender, a million other things. And at least we're able to be confronting them, whereas most places are ignoring them and just moving yeah, along. Yeah, even if we don't have an answer, at least as part of the discussion. Discussion. I hope that doesn't sound like a, you know, a cop out in any way, but it's something that's really important to me. Me too. 
Awesome. That was Lauren Horty. And now we have Sally Chiam, a journalist and oral historian whose work has appeared on NPR, PBS, and New York Times. Most importantly, she is the founder and executive director of None on Record, a digital media organization documenting stories of Africans who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. So what does the term lesbian mean to you? And it's sort of shifted usage, more people using the term queer, or some people don't like the term lesbian anymore. So yeah, what's your take on that? Oh, wow. I mean, that's that's a tough one to answer. I mean, this is a straight up answer, of course. It's, you know, a woman who has, you know, same sex relationships solely with women. So there's the basic answer. But I think it's more than that in a way that for me, you know, having I had identified as a lesbian for so long and also, you know, now identifying as queer, it was part of being, it made it so that I was part of a community that I really needed, you know, at that particular time. Because, you know, there was so much at that time, so much history that I could learn from, you know, lesbians, you know, like Audre Lorde, and, you know, others who had come before me. And it was really important for me, someone who was realizing that, you know, I was a queer person or a person who, you know, I was attracted to women and wanted to be in relationships with women, that there was some kind of legacy or something that I could know that, you know, made me feel like, okay, I'm okay. (laughs) You know what I mean? So in a lot of ways, for me, it's a term that gives me a lot of warmth. It gives me a lot of joy because it still means a lot to me. I find now that the label of lesbian isn't necessarily what I think I identify as now, as my, you know, consciousness has changed and shifted. But I do feel that it's important, you know, and I'm very, very much in community with lesbian women, supporting the needs of lesbian women and thinking through how to, you know, provide programming and all these different ways to support that identity because it really meant a lot and it still means a lot to me. Wow, that's beautiful. (laughs) Such a wonderful conception of it. Cool. All right, that was Stella Chiam. And now we're going to turn it over to the discussion portion with the Allot director and the Allot archivist. So, hello, Megan. Hello, Elise. Hi, how are you? Hi, Kelly. Hello. So, Megan, what's your favorite moment? I think that probably my favorite moment comes from Lauren Horty. And she was talking about sort of having a negative view of the word lesbian growing up and how it was sort of a dirty word. And now it's in some ways, like a dirty word in a different way now that she has grown. And for me, listening through all these interviews was interesting because like, I don't identify as a lesbian. So I don't feel like that's a term that I, that it's my place to define. And when I was probably like 13, 14, before I realized that I was like bisexual, or that was a thing that I could be, I was grappling with like same-sex attraction and I was kind of wondering like am I a lesbian but the term felt so kind of unwieldy to me (laughs) you know being 14 and walking into a girl's locker room like wearing the term lesbian that just felt like too much and it wasn't something that I felt like I could like it I, I had that really strong sense of like it's a dirty word and it's interesting because now that I'm an adult my perception of the word lesbian has has shifted a lot. And I understand what she was saying about it being a dirty word from lesbian being an essentialist term, that kind of thing. But I actually, I almost envy people who identify as lesbians because 
they have, I think being bisexual, it's like in straight spaces, I'm queer. And then in, in LGBTQ spaces, I feel like I'm not like quite at the, I don't have the same cred. You're not like gay enough kind of. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of, you still feel a little bit out of place or something. And I could never bring, you know, like a male partner to like, well, I could, but it would feel weird. It's kind of like very looked down upon from what I understand or like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I sort of look at, at people who can just say like, I'm a lesbian and I'm envious of that. I'm like envious of that category, like that, just having a word that feels empowering in that way. Yeah. It seems to be sort of like, this is solid and it's one thing and it makes sense and it you know there's not confusion about it so yeah I totally I feel the same way yeah exactly it's like it's like you do have to like deal with a lot of political baggage um and like historical baggage but you also have something that you can really like grab onto I think yeah. And I think in terms of um, what you were saying about it was a dirty word in the past for a certain reason and in the present for a different reason is it reminds me of what Nadine was saying about how like it used to be people didn't like the word lesbian because it was related to misogyny. But now it's sort of related to the idea that it, it could be transphobic and sort of essentialist. So I think that's interesting, yeah. too. Yeah, I mean, I really like that Nadine brought up the misogyny thing, because when Lauren was talking about lesbian being a dirty word, I like what kept running through my head is like, is a big part of why this is such a hard term to grapple with, just like misogyny, the fact that same sex attracted women have to work a lot harder to have a term that is that we like we have to put so much labor into defending it and redefining it. And whereas it doesn't seem like gay men have to put that amount of labor into terminology. Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely see that. I wonder why that is. Also, so Elise, what was your favorite moment? Well, I guess maybe what I'll do is I'll pick up on this term that Megan just used, historical baggage, because I think you're right, Megan, of course, you know, I agree with you. But by calling it historical baggage, we also play into the idea of the negative past. And I think that there's so much positive past. And one of the things I really liked about, I think all of these clips is the attention to the history of the term and the way in which particularly Mary Wu Sims and Joan Nessel tied their own personal history into the term because they lived their adult lives at the time when lesbian became, as you were saying, Megan, empowering. You know, it became, because remember, lesbian was a term that women in the 50s and 60s never used because it was the medical pathological term. So women called themselves, as was mentioned, gay. Lesbian had a negative resonance to it, just like later dyke would and so we have the dyke march today but like the word queer dyke was also a reclaimed word that was used in a really negative way against same-sex attracted women so so what mary Wu sims and joe nessel both gesture to is this and i think what the archives also gestures to is this incredibly rich history of empowering not just the queer but the woman you know so I think again picking up again from something Megan said about it being a the misogyny making it a unique struggle or a unique 
uniquely experienced issue for women. You know, lesbian, when it was reclaimed and mobilized as this empowering term, was not just about being same-sex attracted, but it was also about being a feminist and being a strong woman. And so there is indeed some baggage that comes with that. There was a rejection of witch and femme culture, a rejection of any manifestation of femininity and the presentation of self. You know, there was a lot of problematic identity policing happened then, just as we see today. But there was also some incredibly positive things that came out of it, like a very rich and vibrant political movement. And alongside that, you know, artistic culture, theater culture, music culture, and, you know, and history, right? Lesbian history emerges in this particular moment. So just a couple of things I want to say about specific to some of the narratives that we just heard was, you know, it was this idea of translation. I mean, so much of everything we're talking about is translation. Like, how do we understand each other across the generations? Right? How do the queer generations understand each other, but then how do straight people and queer people understand each other? And Mary Wu Sims talks about how there's no word for lesbian in Cantonese. So she uses the English word homosexual because she knows her mother will understand that. And I just found that so interesting, such an interesting part of her story. And then Joe Nessel, she says, first I was a freak, then I was a queer, then I was a femme, then I was a lesbian feminist, and then I was a queer femme lesbian feminist. And and one of the things I really love is in the middle of that, she says, I am still all those things. And that's one thing, I guess, for me personally, I would say really resonates for me because I used to be a lesbian and now I'm queer, I have a trans partner, but I'm still a lesbian. But we don't use identity. Identity is a very presentist category. You know, it's who we are in this moment. And I'm not living as a lesbian. I'm not in a relationship with a woman. But that part of who I am doesn't suddenly vanish in the moment in which I begin a new relationship. So it's she brings out that sort of layered, I guess, way in which we embody identities and maybe also finally the last thing i'll say is you know it points to the way identities both liberate us and their tools for discovery one of our narrators says uh, oh yeah it was mary Wu sims she said i used to use butch lesbian and now the more contemporary term boy you know that really resonates for me so these identities can be a means of discovery of new parts or growth of new parts of our cells, but they can also at the same time really limit and constrain our ability to communicate the complexity of who we are, both to other people and, and to ourselves, I think. Yeah, I really, I also noted the part where Mary Sims was talking about how the new term boy suited her really well, because I feel like it's sort of this like perpetual uncovering or discovering, I guess, of like, yeah, that seems to really fit me. And like people coming to terms as a refuge to their experience, which can be the positive side of labeling, right? So yeah, I don't know, it's really interesting. Yeah, I think that the thing that I really liked that Joan Nessel said, sort of attached to that, was that we should form a coalition rich with all our knowledge, taking on a shrinking-hearted world. And it's sort of this idea that there can be so much complexity and so many different ways to identify, and they're all valid, and different words can mean different things to different people, but that we can all kind of come together and, I guess, be allies for each other. And that's where the focus should be. 
Yeah, and like allies for disparate groups too. Like she was sort of saying that there's not only like a bigger battle in terms of like we need to combat infringements on like queer rights, but then also, you know, helping other disenfranchised groups, which I thought was really a good point for Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every time I hear Joe Nessel speak, you know, my mind is blown, right? Like what comes out of that woman's mouth is just, it's always amazing. I mean, it's just to me, she is, you know, she just explicates the kind of politics that I subscribe to so clearly and succinctly, but also poetically. And, but I think here again is an example of exactly this kind of tension that we're talking about. On the one hand, when our identities bring us together, so we find each other, we feel less isolated, we can form and build community and so on. That's, you know, the upside of it. But the downside of it is when it divides us. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that we can align ourselves with certain groups of people and I really mean people, I don't mean like religious groups or political groups. I mean certain groups of people, collectives of people. And whether or not we say we're queer, the fact that we are gay, homosexual, queer, lesbian, whatever, will be the reason why they will reject us from inclusion of this ideal of coalitional politics. So I agree with, I understand the sentiment of hopefully there will be a day in which we have no labels. Which really means, which which is what she followed that comment with, and again, this is Mary Boo Sims, in which it won't matter, our sexual orientation, the choices of our intimate partners, it won't matter in some imagined future, but we're not yet at that moment. And so, so even when it stops mattering to us, like I would say, the older I get, the less it matters to me. It's not the foreground of my identity as much as it used to be when I was younger. But nevertheless, whenever I'm in a situation in which it matters to someone else, then suddenly it's at the foreground of my life and it matters. So we're always in this kind of dance, right, of making meaning for ourselves, but other people imposing meanings upon us and then how we negotiate that. And in some way, it seems to me that as long as we're dancing that dance, these kinds of categories are or these identity labels are really impossible to escape. Yeah, I liked what she was saying about that too, sort of saying, yeah, there could be a future of no labeling, but then, you know, currently we live in a place where there's a ton of like racism and homophobia and sexism. So it's like, who's being interpolated becomes kind of like, okay, I just need to like form a group to feel like I have a community and like, a legacy to know that I'm okay, which is kind of what Sally Tiam was saying. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd also noticed sort of a through line with Joan and Lauren when Joan says, I see the word lesbian as a word big enough and queer enough to incorporate all other positionings. And then Lauren also says, there's a lot of room for complexity in lesbian culture. So I think what's cool about this conversation is it's like, at least we're confronting all these sort of intersections and complexities as, you know, as a praxis for the lesbian community. Like, I think that's cool that we're able to be self-reflective about this kind of stuff as well. Yeah, I think that the thing that I really enjoyed about listening through all of these clips was that no one gave you a definition. It was, and of course, like, that wouldn't be an interesting answer anyway, but that no one really seemed to point towards like one thing that like the term lesbian means. And it was really just a hashing out of the complexities within those categories and the ways that they've kind of contended with that. 
Yeah, like Sally Chiam describes it as the term lesbian gives her a lot of warmth and a lot of joy. Like it's literally a feeling. Like a lot of this is sort of out of the realm of the cognitive or out of the realm of sort of (laughs) the cerebral. It's like it's a feeling, you know, like that's kind of what we're aiming towards, like of comfort, of just the ability to exist and be comfortable and exploratory and room for that kind of thing. I think it's Lauren who said at the outset of the interview, you'd think I'd have a canned answer for that, but I really don't. And then also Joe Nessel said, after she gives that long list of the various identities she's embraced or occupied, she says, I don't know if this is clear, but maybe it's good that it's not clear. So I think that really speaks to what you were just saying there, Megan, about just the not having a kind of bulletproof definition of of what it means and that it's a combination that it's also, as you're saying there, Callie, a felt experience as much as it is part of, well, I would say it's a felt experience. And, but also, as I guess I said at the beginning that people have this great awareness of its historical specificity too, which is really also interesting. And then the last quote I'll throw out there that related to this one is also one that I really loved from Joan was I have too many knowledges coming at me. I know too many people who are experiencing gender in too many ways, but then to sort of nail it down, right, as any one thing. But then she says, and I also like this too, and I think this is really provocative and we could probably do a whole, have a whole other conversation about this. She says, I don't want to say that fluidity wipes everything away. And I think there's a lot to think about there because I think fluidity is really important. I think it's something more and more people are exploring and and more and more people are open to explore in more public ways than maybe they have been before. But the idea that I think what she's saying there because of how it follows in the conversation is that I don't want to dismiss other people who have a profound, solid, unchanging sense of them being cisgendered, lesbian. That fluidity doesn't diminish the solidity and maybe permanency that some people feel about their identities. We're not now saying, oh, you have false consciousness or you're clinging to some kind of mythical lesbian ideal that isn't a reality. So I I also like, and I think it's really important that we, and again, it goes back to her bigger theme of just being respectful of however people identify. And that means also being respectful, you know, of women who still use the category lesbian. Yeah, and I think that speaks to what you were saying earlier about how like identity is not all about just a present moment. It is a long, fluid process if it wants to be kind of thing, you know? Yeah, and I think the word I used there was multi-layered rather than fluid. So, you know, my rich and exciting history as a lesbian <laughs> doesn't disappear because I'm now partnered with a man and I'm queer. It's still part of who I am you know, that it's as relevant to who I am. So it's not that my identity is, I mean, yes, it's fluid, but that speaks to more of like sort of sediments, you know, the sediments of being and sense of self that I had that developed when I was in my early 20s and I came out and lesbian culture and politics and stuff like that. It doesn't disappear. That's still very much a part of who I am. And it still informs my view on the world and on women. Can I just say that too? (laughs) Yeah, no, I I really like the term sediments. That's like such a great image 
to portray. Yeah, I, I guess I just, it's so hard for me to have a concept of identity that includes the history of my life and also my current present. I struggle with that, I think. I think I struggle with that. Like trying to pick something, pick something that feels like a moving target in a certain way. Not a rapidly moving target, but definitely a moving target of something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that I've I've really enjoyed listening to these conversations and how people are like Joan Nestle in particular was um, embracing fluidity and embracing all of these changing identities and how she's identified in different ways, but she's still all of those things. I think that, you know, the terminology that I use for myself, it changes based on context, but I'm still all of those things. And I think so often something that's frustrating for me is coming up against really fixed definitions. And I think that happens in, you know, spaces like social media a lot. People sometimes will want to give a really fixed definition and they get kind of gatekeepy about whether you're allowed to identify in a certain way. And while there is like pushback against that, I feel like we don't talk often enough about just the richness of what it means to identify with multiple different terms and how they can overlap and how they can come out in different spaces in different ways. And I think that's such an important conversation to be having and such an interesting thing to reflect on personally. I really like that. Yeah, I definitely feel like a big problem is gatekeeping or just like sort of exclusionary politics in general. I think that that kind of flies in the face of a lot of what we're talking about of sort of like being able to exist within an ambiguity and being able to, and maybe ambiguity is not the right word, but like kind of what you're saying about layers of terms. And as Elise was saying about like the sediments of your entire experience, I think the more as a culture, we're able to embrace that kind of stuff. We'll have a bit like a stronger society or like stronger queer community because of it, if we can exist and accept people's ambiguities kind of thing. Well, and I think that's Joe Nestle's point is we'll have a stronger community, period, if people can be comfortable with difference. And even perhaps, you know, the whole notion of difference, as we understand it right now, will fade. You know, the more, I mean, I know that the kind of policing that you were just talking about, it happens in all political communities. But the older I get, the more I think it's the problem really is just judgy people, you know, because <laughs> they're everywhere. And yeah, so I honestly don't know that that kind of like that that's particular to lesbian culture or left political cultures. I think there's just people in the world who like to draw clear lines and perhaps define their own sense of self or affirm their own sense of self by judging other people and, you know, passing those kinds of judgments. So I don't know, it's, especially as a historian of political cultures, which I do a little bit of, you kind of see that it's just always there no matter, no matter where you look, sadly, sadly. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of what it is, what you're saying about people do want to affirm their own sense of identity by like cutting off other people from it or like it, it makes them feel like they have a more structured sense if they're building a wall around it for themselves and other people kind of thing. Yeah, I think that in this case of a lot of the time maybe people have had a lot of difficulty coming to terms with their own identity and they've sort of had to fight for 
certain terms. And I think that maybe sometimes that makes them close off. And like if they've had to establish themselves as having a particular identity or, you know, embodying a particular identity, they feel uncomfortable when someone comes and tries to use that term, meaning something slightly different, because that calls into question the way that they're using the term and will people understand who they are. Yeah, I totally agree. And in that way, I think it's like much more, it's easier to empathize with that and try to understand that, you know what I mean? To be like, okay, I can see where you have a lot of feeling associated with this. I can see why this is happening. That can be a point of understanding and sort of like unpacking with people. Mm -hmm. I think we should start wrapping up. If you guys have any final thoughts or things that you want to mention before we close up shop? (laughs) Yeah, I have an idea of how I'd like to bring this particular discussion to a close, if I can do that. Of course, yeah. Okay, great. So, you know, we mentioned earlier on about how certain kinds of identities can be enabling. And I would like it if we could just take a second to go back to thinking about, you know, Joe Nestle started the Lesbian History Archives because she understood, she could see very clearly that gay archives that were forming at the time would favor men, the experiences of men, that they would predominate, and that for women to have a voice and to have a presence for the purpose not only of archiving the past of same-sex attracted women, but also to use archives as a tool to empower women, she needed to create something separate and autonomous and market very clearly and distinctly as lesbian. And it was the same philosophy that I used when I created the Archives of Lesbian Oral Testimony, even though I knew that we were at this historical moment where it wasn't clear what the future of lesbian was going to be. And I still think that's very unclear. Nevertheless, it seemed no less politically useful to mark off an archive as addressing this material very specifically and signaling that very, very loud. So I want to put the question to you two, you know, both as of the next up and coming generation or somewhat have arrived generation. (laughs) I don't want to make you sound too young. Given this discussion that we've had, you know, is it no longer necessary or important or is there too much historical baggage around the term lesbian for it to be productively used in projects like this? What do you think? I think that it's useful to have the term because there's still a lot of people who identify that way. And I feel like it encompasses what the main project is. And I think a lot archives does a really good job at including a lot of different positionings in conjunction with lesbian. But I think it's sort of, it's able to be sort of like a North star for like what the kind of content is trying to veer towards and so I I don't know I think it does a good job in that way but what do you think Megan? Yeah I, I think I would agree with that I can see how in some cases it might present a bit of a roadblock particularly trying to do outreach where we're asking people to you know go out and interview friends and family members and people in their community some people I think are concerned that they don't like I get a lot of questions of like well I want to interview someone who now identifies as non-binary and but they have in the past they've identified with being a queer woman or you know being a lesbian and like is that still okay and I think that it's great when people ask those questions because it gives us the opportunity to clarify that like yes we're extremely 
fluid and like what we mean by lesbian and that it doesn't have to be a fixed category that you've always identified with and you always will identify with. And so if we have the opportunity to clarify, and I think that we in general put a lot of emphasis on opening up the category and making sure that people know what we're talking about. But yeah, like, so I think I see that challenge come up occasionally, but at the same time, I think that also using the word lesbian brings a lot of interest and richness and it is sort of this north star like we know we get a sense of what we're talking about and like what the shared experience is in the archives yeah okay well thank you elise and megan for such a wonderful discussion and thank you all for everyone listening for a lovely year of episodes as your host it's been an honor to host and produce for this podcast. So make sure you go to alotarchives.org for more archival work and updates on new projects and get into starting a project of your own. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you. Funding for this project is provided by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada, a federal research funding agency that promotes and supports post-secondary based research and research training in the humanities and social sciences.